Hello, America. Welcome to your Leo Nation, where we believe in the rule of law, civil society, self-responsibility. And although we do some pretty heavy podcasts sometimes, we also believe in having fun and looking at the lighter side of things. Important, the lighter side of things. And we have a lot of great guests on this show. Today is one more. And this guest happens to be a really good friend of mine, a guy I respect and just have a lot of fun with. I want to say hello to Justin Melnick. Justin, how are you, sir? I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me on today, Mark. No, thanks for being a part of the podcast. Just very excited, real fortunate to have met you a few years ago when I was with the California Highway Patrol. Everybody, I met Justin through uh, some fundraising efforts with the CHP, Chips for Kids, a toy drive program that's been around for 30 years for Highway Patrol. And uh, Justin, in his capacity, in his role really in Hollywood, just put us over the top with our fundraising efforts and with his connections, his enthusiasm. And uh, since then, we have just become very good friends. And Justin, I know people know who you are. A big part of the reason that the CBS show SEAL Team is such a huge success. You are a driving force behind that with your technical advisement and your participation in front of the camera as well. So I would like to give you a chance just to talk about your early experience in law enforcement and how you came to be a part of a SEAL team. Yeah, it's a really wild ride. Um, very fortunate, very lucky. I ended up in law enforcement completely randomly. I was a combat photographer and overseas. Worked every war zone, pretty much almost every war zone that we were in between 2004 and 2009 ended in Afghanistan and uh, wanted to put down the camera and stop documenting the problems and try and figure out a way to be part of the solution. So wanted to join the army. Was totally blown away by the, the caliber of human that I met in the armed forces while I was over in Afghanistan. And just, just, these are the people that I want to be around every day. These are the people that I want to be like. These are the people that are inspiring me to be better. Uh, so I started the process to join the army through a program, ended up backing out at the last minute, uh, which kind of sucks because it's one of those decisions that I will have to live with for the rest of my life, wondering, could I have made it? Could I have done it? Um, and then ended up in Los Angeles randomly for a girl. And, <laughs> and it was just at the end of my, my rope. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go, what to do. Met Jack Osborne, Ozzy's kid, out of all the people in the world, randomly met him through a mutual friend. And he was a police officer in Indiana. He'd done a TV show there four years prior. And he'd maintained his creds. So he invited me down to Indiana to come hang out for a couple of days and shoot some guns and hang out with the SWAT guys. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, nothing else going on. So rolled down to Indiana with him and just fell in love. Just fell in love. Ended up applying to four agencies out there in two counties and ended up getting hired by all of them. 
and ended up choosing to go with the department that I'm at now because of the leadership there. A man very much like you, Mark, just a, a leader from out front, a man who does what he says and means what he says, and a man that believes in accountability. And in a world where law enforcement has turned political, he's still a cop. And that's his thing. Seeing him in the way he led from out front, I was like, this is a guy that I want to be beside. This is a guy that I want to follow behind. And then ended up out there and it was just wild. It was, it was such a great experience being in America. Like when you're in Indiana, you're in America, California, New York city, it ain't America. There are parts of California that are American, but New York city and California have lost what it means, what America means, the heart and the soul of this country. And uh, sadly, and I messed up. Sorry, my phone is going on do not disturb right now. Oh, <laughs> that's all right. We're <laughs> back. That makes two of us. Yeah, it was just a wild ride. Ended up uh, working for a dude doing some side work, uh, which got me very close to a lot of the dudes at SEAL Team 6 and a couple other military assets. And then the show came up, and one of the dudes that I knew from SEAL Team 6, his name was Mark Owen, who wrote that book, No Easy Day, called me up and he's like, hey, can you bring your canine out to out to the thing? I'm like, yeah, that's not a problem. It was it. Forget Hollywood. Forget money. I don't really care about fame. I don't really care about money. I just want enough to be able to feed myself and my dogs. And now I guess I got to think about my kids too. <laughs> I would hope so. It's like it, it, life. Money has never motivated any single decision I've made. Mm -hmm. Every job I've ever had has been a hobby of mine and I'm very fortunate. I just, I'm okay with living, living modestly, but doing exactly what I love every day. That's the important of being, being excited to wake up. I was thinking, okay, TV show. That means they, they told me that we were going to have Blackhawks, uh, UH 60 Blackhawks for fast roping tunnel sets for CQB and odor detection. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm thinking about this as what the military would refer to as a rut, a realistic urban training. So I brought my pup down and the showrunner at the time, Ed Redlich, uh, God bless him. One of the few, one of six people that have completely changed my life. And, and he, he's like, yeah, man, you should just be the dog handler. And I'm like, oh, sir, don't you need to know how to act? He's like, nah, you'll figure it out. And Storms off, typical Hollywood producer way. Well, cool. Okay, we're doing this. And then by the end of the pilot episode, uh, Ben Caval, the creator of the show, named my character and gave it the name of Brock. And, and then CBS called when the show got picked up and I had to ask my chief. And we only thought it would be six or seven months. We didn't think it would be seven years. So, That's crazy. So he's like, hey, you're not going to get paid or anything. You can go out there, just make sure you maintain your state mandated trainings and be here when you can. 
and seven years we've been doing this. My role has dramatically changed at the department, but in a good way. I want to be a cop. I want to be remembered as a police officer. I don't want to, if I, being an actor is cool. It's a fun job. If I can use that platform from Hollywood to push the agenda that I find important, the charities that I find important, and I use this outreach to raise money for good causes like we did for uh, Chips for Kids, then, then, I'm, then it's worth it for me. It's 100% worth it for me. But i very aware that we are on this earth for a very finite amount of time. And I want to do good stuff while I'm here. Yeah, I want to, if I can chime in here, because you, you touched on so many things that are really personal to me and important, and I think to, to our listeners and viewers as well. But there are a couple of things you talked about leadership, you know, you're chief of your agency, and obviously a, a gentleman who has a vision, sees a big picture, and, and, and saw an opportunity for you to really be even more effective than you were working directly for him in Indiana, but having the influence that you do with countless number of people, that was one thing. The other thing about your personal really commitment, and, I, and I've learned this about you, Justin, about helping other people. And I, I we talked about it a lot, but the number of people that you've introduced me to that helped me in my CHP career and continue to help me now in, in the private sector, uh, what I'm doing, including the podcasting, but just the network of good people that, that have been drawn to you through really your selflessness. It's amazing how people can see you right behind you, the number of awards and just the plaques back there, but those all yeah. indicate something about things that you have personally done or people you have personally assisted. And I'm one of them. And just fascinating how one person can and have such a, a good, and when I mean good, I mean that literally good people network that you do. You're good people that I've come to know through you and very much appreciate it. Can you dive into, because as long as I've known you and as many times we've talked about this, there is so much information that you have, so many experiences that very few people ever get to witness in 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 your capacity when you were overseas with the military can you talk to us about how that may have forged you in certain ways or things you saw relationships that you built because those things are really all and eventually brought you to what you're doing now and you can relate to these scripts you can relate to the situations probably better than anybody yeah it, it's interesting. You grew up in New York City, middle-class family. I didn't really have a dad. My mom worked. I, I never really grew up with parents. Mom's a great person. Dad, dad wasn't a bad person, just wasn't a role model in any sense. He, I didn't grow up in team sports. I never understood so much about what being a leader about what I'm still constantly learning every day. And now, especially having kids now, it's so important for me to, to really focus in on those finite details. So I don't fuck up my children. Oh, excuse my French. Um, 
But when I ended up in Afghanistan with these guys, like I saw what being a man was. I saw what being a leader was. The way, the way that the, and obviously there were some people that we ran into there that were clowns. But the units that I ended up gravitating to and going out on missions with more, their leadership was awesome. And it's just inspiring to see that people, that this wasn't just, it wasn't just propaganda posters, that these were real life people that believe so much in helping other people that they would solicit the help of their congregations or their school systems back home to send school supplies so that they could go out on ops and when they were finished on the mission, go to schools and distribute all the backpacks. This isn't on U.S. government dime. This is on communities dime. This is on mm -hmm. their wives, their churches, their synagogues, their mosques, going out and collecting everything that they can and sending it over to Afghanistan for these guys to give out. You learn firsthand. I learned firsthand about this, these people that I wanted to be like, so. It's, uh, it is fascinating. You and I have had a, probably more than a few glasses of wine at your house and, and, and talk about these stories in depth. And they really are fascinating for me. I think anybody that I've seen you converse with about this, people are glued to your stories and they have a lot of them. My dad being a, a World War II veteran, and listening to his stories before he passed away and hearing someone like you who got to witness similar things overseas is impressive. I think on the the more maybe pop culture side of this podcast, I'm really fascinated. You know, look, you gave me a Greek tour, and uh, actually my boss, who's also retired at the time, you gave us a great tour of the set, the SEAL team. And... I think for, for people who have even been on Hollywood sets, it's an impressive layout. What's it? Is it, is a, is it a C-17 mock-up or a C-5 mock-up? So, 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 so it's about 30% bigger than a C-130 and about 10% okay. smaller than a C-17. Okay. So somewhere in there. But I've been on a lot of Hollywood sets. Again, spent my entire life in, in Hollywood, so to speak, and have had been fortunate enough to, to, to see a lot of stuff. But man, when we walked into that soundstage, I remember making a right turn in that soundstage and there's this cargo ramp. I'm thinking, how did they actually land a plane in the soundstage? Mm -hmm. It is so impressive. Talk to us about that. It, again, for people, I know how popular this show is. And I know that the listeners, viewers would love to hear about maybe some of the behind the scenes stuff. And, how these come to fruition, these scenes and all this action. Well, first off, like we're so lucky. We've got three executive producers that care about authenticity. They want it real. They will go the extra mile to ensure that we have the details, which allows me to do my job. We've got studio execs and network execs that, that love our military. And they're all about making a show that is honest and true to our service members. So again, it's out on the battlefield on a TV show. 
leadership starts from the top and it trickles down. And we're really fortunate in that sense that we have that leadership that actually cares. It's not, it's, you were there that day. We brought what, 50 of your CHP guys onto set and for lunch and all that. Right. That wasn't coordinated. That was just, I ran into you guys at the broadcast center. Like, hey, come over for lunch. That doesn't happen on a Hollywood set. You have that people cleared. It's harder to get on a, a, a Hollywood lot than it is to get on like a military compound. Yeah. But again, our leadership absolutely loves law enforcement. They love military. They love our first responder community. They are obviously with COVID, it messed up the ability to do that. But, but I never, anytime I'd ever ask for permission to bring a veteran, an active duty guy or a law enforcement officer or paramedic or fire on set, I'd never got declined on it. That's how I knew the only thing I had to check was to make sure we had enough catering for an extra 50 heads. You know what I mean? But by, by the way, especially cops, because free food and cops, so it's, they're, they're going to get stuff to go. It's, it's, it's every cop's second favorite <laughs> F word, free. So, <laughs> all right. You know, all the years, I never heard that when I am. It's, it's, it's great. My, my deputy chief told me that like 10 years ago. It's, just, it's always stuck with me. And it's so true. I love free stuff. I love free stuff. Uh, yeah. So, our leadership is just so wonderful about that. And I love it. And they want it real. They want it. You know, we make a show that 12 million people watch, but they genuinely care what the 300,000 people that are tuning in that actually know the piece of camouflage or the manufacturer vest or the type they want those details. The idea is to make the show as real as possible without compromising operator safety. We never want to divulge information that could get guys hurt downrange. We just want, we want a great show that honors and pays tribute to our men and women that serve our nation. We don't want a fluff piece. It's not a recruiting poster by any means, but it's, I think. I've never served in the military, but I've spent a long time around guys from those units, watching them come into the units, watching them be the new guy, watching them progress to the TL. And now I'm getting old enough that I'm watching guys retire. Uh, like in about four years, the guys that I will first met when they came to the assets are now pushing out and we're just getting old, sir. Uh, I'm getting, Hey, I'm getting older than you. Speaking about watching people come and go. I knew I was getting old in the highway patrol. One day I was doing an inspection. This just, it's reminded me, sorry, I'm taking a little segue here, but I was doing an inspection. I was an assistant chief at the time. I'm inspecting the troops at one of my commands and started talking to one of these kids, looking at his weapon. And he said, sir, he said, may I speak with you? I said, of course, yeah, what? He goes, he said, you trained my father. <laughs> I almost fell over. I almost, I said, okay, where's the cane or a wheelchair? And where's my depends? I go, I trained your dad. And this name, I said, yeah, I trained so many. I trained 40 officers over my time as, a, as an FTO. I, I said, when was that? And he said, oh, it's like 1994 or something. And I just thought, oh my God. But that's how old. That's from the age factor set in. So anyway, I, I thought I'd chime in there, but go ahead. Is a phenomenal... Jay, I, 
I wouldn't want to fight you on a mat. I wouldn't want to go into the gym and roll with you. Well, that that makes two of us. You're you are a wiry dude. And by the way, I we are talking about your house. I look at that gym you have there. So, my God, if I had a gym in my house, I could actually, I could actually get in real shape. But yes, it is. I, I tell you, it's important to me. A, I want to stay healthy and in shape because I love being active. And my character is a superhero. Yeah, like I, I, mm-hmm. I am playing. I'm playing America's super ninja. Like it's out of respect for those dudes. I think it's important to wake up and pound gym every morning for an hour. I take one day off a week and and stay healthy, stay sharp, and at least physically represent these guys properly. You, you do that. Speaking of that, speaking of all the, the physical requirements to talking about authenticity, talking about attention to detail earlier with the sets, but someone like you, the people who are actually, because you're behind the camera and from the camera, I know you do both, but the attention to detail that you're talking about in the physical fitness side is really, that's something that cannot be faked on camera. It, it, I know you guys are all in great shape. Do you, I know you have your own fitness program, but actually some of the things you do, I think it was a couple of months ago, a few months ago, you asked me if I wanted to bring the kid up to watch you jump out of a, I forget which helicopter up in like in the Santa Clarita area. I think it was, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Was that, is that right? My recollection? You missed a pretty incredibly wild day. Yeah. I was actually working for a living or something. I can't remember why I, I missed it, but talk about that stuff. and what training you got to do that and, and how often you do these things for SEAL team for the show. Yeah. It's, it's important that both myself and my dog, it, uh, it's important to all the actors on the show. Everyone. If you look at before and after pictures of every cast member of what they looked like season one, episode one to five to what we look like now, you know, it, it's been important to everybody to, to up their game physically. And it makes it, yeah, we do, my hat's off to every single person on that. Not only the cast, but the crew. The cast, the cast like has never run around and even though we don't, we're not wearing plates, our gear still weighs 15, 20 pounds. And we're mm-hmm. still in full kit running around 12, 10 to 12 hours a day, five days a week in the mountains, in the heat, in the cold, in the rain, when it happens in California. But mm-hmm. It's it, it, it's no joke. It's physically demanding, and these guys crush it. The crew, think about every piece of lighting equipment, every camera equipment, every rack of clothing. We need all of our support structure where we're filming, and it ain't always easy to get there, and the crew just knocks it out of the park. It's it's top-notch. It, it is a group. It, it's almost like being around special operations people because... It's around a group of 180 core people, 300 people total that are always no one word, which is yes. We don't know how we're going to figure it out, but we know we're going to figure it out. There's no, there's no, we can't do it. It's check. We're on it. We'll figure it out. And that's one of the most impressive things about this industry that, that everybody involved is a go-getter and there's no, there's the weak links get sorted out and, and gone. 
but yeah. But our our core group, you could ask them. We could go to Mars and film, and they would figure out how to pull it off. It's but it, it's a mentality I I try to teach my kid every day. It's a FTP, fix the problem, mm -hmm. fix the problem. And if I brought him here right now, I say, hey, don't lose FTP, fix the problem. That exactly. We can whine about it later on. We'll solve the issue right now, so we can move on. I again being privy to being in a lot of sets, I know how much work it is. We all make fun of Hollywood, even though and people like you who are in Hollywood, we, we make fun of it. But it's it there's so much work that goes into every single minute of footage that we enjoy when we watch SEAL team or any other well-produced show. So for the fans but, so that they understand every 45 minute episode is about a month three weeks to a month of writing a script and then like 10 to 14 days of prepping an episode eight days of shooting an episode and then a month of post-production on an episode just for 40 minutes of television yeah and, how many episodes and, and while that's happening episode one you're on your own you get that all to yourself but while we're filming episode one, we're prepping episode two. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes we're shooting prepping at the same time. Like it's wild. Sometimes we're prepping four episodes at the same time before block shooting stuff. So it's, it ain't an easy job for people that want to get into it. Be prepared to, to earn your money. There ain't no free lunches in that industry. No, they're not. It, it is. A, it's a, very competitive, very labor-intensive industry. So what does it look like for you? Because again, I've said it a few times on this episode that you're behind and in front of the camera because you do obviously a lot of technical advising. And it probably varies from episode to episode. But generally, what does it look like for you? What are you doing on a daily basis doing these seven, eight, nine days of shooting or prep or even writing maybe? I I try and get the scripts as soon as I can. As soon as they're out, I'm reading them. I always joke with my bosses. I'm usually the first one to ask for a script, and I'm usually the first one to watch and edit and get. I half of me is because I want to be prepared, and the stuff that I do on the show requires time. I'm acquiring equipment that doesn't exist in the Hollywood world, and the other half of me is I'm just. I also say I'm probably the number one SEAL Team fan. I love the show. I love what the show's about. I love the characters. I love the writing. I love the story. I love the cinematography. I love it all. And it has nothing to do with me being involved. If I didn't, if I didn't work on the show, I would still watch every episode of the show religiously because I love the subject matter. I'll try and get a script as early as possible. And if I can't get a script, I'll just get an idea of the mission we're on, what the mission sense is. And then from there, I'll start trying to find the gear. Uh, or in some cases, I look at the mission set and I can't find the gear that would be good for it. And then I'll use that mission as, a, as like a, an ability to create a piece of prototype equipment for that actual mission set. Sometimes Sometimes that stuff will end up going into going into the market space, and sometimes it's just a prototype that lives in, and dies.
but I like to use this show as a platform for developing equipment as well. It's, it's a great place to test stuff. It's fun. The environments are all real. So that is fascinating. I think all the conversations you and I have had in person or, or otherwise, I hadn't heard that or even probably considered the fact that this is so realistic that it's really a test platform for, for equipment as well. Yeah. So the Can Ams that you see on our show are side by sides that we use. I went and I got, I got, I'm, I like Polaris as a company. I love a lot of their vehicles, but I wasn't in love with their razor, their military razor. So I went and I got a Can-Am chassis of a vehicle that I like, that I find to be a little bit more stable. And then what I did is had the special effects guys and our in-house welders basically build up a side-by-side -side that's a military looking but i took all the things that i liked about the m razor and all the stuff that i didn't like about the m razor and created our own vehicle for bravo team to use obviously there were some things like i would have preferred it to be you know diesel and there are some other components i would have liked it to have but i couldn't price and weight just wasn't feasible to do it for a tv show but down the road maybe maybe somebody from one of those companies uses what we designed out of it, which would be cool. Very interesting. I'm curious. This is, you're in your seventh yeah, season? Going into Definitely. season seven. Going into season seven. And how many episodes uh, per season? So it's been different every year. Mm -hmm. We started off, I think the first three were 22 episodes a season. And then I think season four was 18 Season five was 15, season six was 10, or season five was 14, season six was 10. So we were on the network television pattern for the first three years. Then the fourth year, we were minus two episodes because COVID hit and it messed right. up. And then we went in season five, we went from network to, so we gave the first four episodes on network TV, and then we gave the last 10 for Paramount Plus for their streaming platform because they've got a very unique pattern of episodes, counts. Mm -hmm. So then this year we were exclusively Paramount Plus, so we did 10 episodes on that. Gotcha. So it, so it does vary. So let me ask you this. We're talking about jumping on helicopters and you know, all this stuff. What, probably two different ones here, and we'll start with technically. What has been uh, your time there? What has been the most technically challenging, whether it's logistics, equipment, episode or episodes or particular scenes that you have produced, in, in your opinion? Nothing. That, that our, our fans here would. Yeah, you know. nothing, nothing has been overly complicated. We're not an elaborate show. You, you're not seeing these elaborate fight sequences, these elaborate gunfights. You know why? that's not what they look like in real life. That's so true. And like I said, it goes so back to the beginning. Our leadership wants real. They don't that's want, great. they don't want a Kung Fu fight with nitty gritty roll. They don't want a guy rolling over tables and engage. They want what a gunfight looks like. You know, mm -hmm. occasionally there's some Hollywood stuff in there that we do, but ultimately 
if it were to happen in real life, it would look the way that we did it on the show. Yeah. I have to say, watching the episodes, I, as a longtime cop, that is one of the things that's so appealing is that nothing is, I'll use the phrase, over the top. It's realistic. Yeah. It's realistic. The funny thing is that most of the, the things that are really unbelievable in life actually happen in real life. It's things in Hollywood are often are usually are so crazy. Yeah. But some of the freakiest things that actually, you know, they actually really do occur in real law enforcement and in military deployments. But the realism that uh, SEAL team brings, it's what, in my opinion, has made it such a success. It is well thought out. It is like, certainly well produced, and there must be some great technical mind behind it advising people uh, to make it so good. And probably the guy I'm talking to. No, so I only technically advise on the equipment and the gear. That's right. it. I'm just. Hang on. I want to check, but you say only, but those details show, and especially for the men and women in, in the military who can pick out the stuff that's right. That's why I think, in my opinion, is what makes it so successful because those details are so important, Jeff. I appreciate that. For me personally, I think the details that I find, I think it's it. I think the gear is literally the sauerkraut on top of the hot dog, but it ain't making the hot dog great. I think what really makes yeah. the hot dog awesome is the quality and the fact that our leadership really did something like that no other show in Hollywood. Like they've hired, we've hired, employed over three or four. 350 veterans over the course of the five years, six years, uh, six seasons. So we have at the executive producer level, we have a veteran. We have producers that are veterans. We have veteran directors, veteran writers, veteran stunt guys, veteran tech advisors, veteran hair and makeup, veteran transpo, veteran grips, electric, craft services. Every department has had bad PAs, everything, guest directors. It's been really cool. There's, there's ton and any opportunity to hire veterans. This show really puts their money where their mouth is. When it, they say veterans first, they mean it. They really care. And with the Paramount VetNet, like we just have such a great community and access to be able to do good things to help our men and women that served our country. So it's really, it's something I'm incredibly proud of being a part of. And it, it just doesn't happen. And it's very rare in this world, let alone this industry to, to have people that actually genuinely care and our leadership. Second, I will second that. And this goes back to what we were talking about earlier about your your really gratitude mindset and your generous mindset, but being a part of like-minded people gets what was what brings the realism and success to this show. I didn't know that uh, what you told me. I didn't know that until now uh, about hiring so many friends for the show. And and when you uh, reveal that, in other words, how could it go wrong from a realism point of view when you have so many people in the process? who've been there, who've done that, who are contributing to this product, uh, it makes total sense, um, the realism and the success of the show. It's absolutely amazing. Um, I, 
I said, I, I visit your home a few times and your family is just, you have a wonderful family and getting back to a little more of the, the serious or, you know, macro implications of what you do and your mindset. I know Justin, that you are first and foremost, a man for your family. You love your country. You're a true patriot. You believe in the rule of law. You believe in self-responsibility, the things that we believe here at Leo Nation. I think those commonalities between you and myself is what brought us together. I really do. And has really created a bond. You're part of the fabric of this nation that I revere so much, the good fabric. And I'm just, you know, proud to call you a friend, grateful to call you a friend. And I'm glad you're part of a process that brings really our military to the forefront so people can see and appreciate it and have fun with it. And I'm grateful. With that, I, I just want to say thanks for you spending time with us. And I'm looking forward to coming up there and I'm going to get out of the way. If there's anything you wanted to wind the show down with, you can have at it. No, I think in honor of it being Veterans Day, if you guys are watching this and, and you have the ability to or feel inclined, find a charity that you like that contributes. I'm a huge fan of the boot campaign. Uh, I really believe that the money goes to a great place and it really helps our veteran community. So um, if you're able to do it and you're watching this, please go check out the boot campaign. If you can get $5, $10, $100, $1,000, whatever you can do, the money goes to a good place and helps people. So, uh, and if you like canine veterans and canine working dogs, we've got a charity that we're doing right now with MWDTSA. The links are in my bio on Instagram and you just Google Justin Melnick Instagram, but we are raising money to buy toys for every military working dog in this country. Over the past four years, Dita, my first dog, and I have managed to raise about 6,000 toys through the help of people like you. And this year she's passed it along to my new dog, Pepper, because Dita is sitting out by the pool and enjoying retirement life. <laughs> so we're, we're back at it though, trying to help our military's furry hair missiles. So if you guys can help out, it's MWDTSA, uh, Pepper's Toy Drive or Donation Drive. And uh, thank you guys for having me today. Justin, thank you. I'll tell you what, and I hadn't mentioned it before, but we are recording this on Veterans Day. We probably won't get the, the entire podcast up on Veterans Day, but we'll try to get this clip up. And right now we're talking about. So if you're listening, hey, hit rewind, listen to those charities. Justin Melnick has helped so many people, so many organizations, so many underprivileged kids in this country. Please help him to help others. Go to those those charities, donate, support, follow him, follow Euralio Nation. Check us out on Instagram, on uh, YouTube. We need the support. Like it, subscribe, do it all. Make sure you hit the donate button on our page here. We'll take it to uh, the Leo Project, our, our our charitable partner. And we want to help the uh, families of fallen officers. Justin Melnick, SEAL Team, CBS, God bless you. Thanks for the time. We will be in touch, my friend. Can't appreciate your time. Say thanks enough for your time today. Thanks for having me, Mark. Great to see you. Come up and visit soon. We, we, we'll do, definitely. Take care. Take care, my friend. Bye-bye.